0: Good. You guys are not using video, so I'm gonna turn term- oh alright, there you go. Are we are we using are we using video or not?
1: <laughs> uh, we don't when we start actually podcasting, just so we don't like use visual cues that the the listeners don't have access to.
0: Totally, totally. Okay, I'm great with that. I was just curious. Um hey, nice to meet you. It's good to see you right now in person.
1: That's nice. Yeah, you as well.
0: <laughs>
2: Welcome to the Successful Users Podcast. Samuel Hewlett and Robert Graham. So, Robert, uh, I did the intro last time. Do you want to do the intro this time, or, or uh, is that, like, my new, my new thing?
1: <laughs> you, can, you can take it on. Uh, you, you recruited, uh, so you, you can own it.
2: Yeah, all right. Well, in that case, uh, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome on our second guest, that's right. Somebody else decided to come on to Successful Users. His name is Lee LeFever of Common Craft, founder of Common Craft, in fact. Uh, you, a uh, king of explanations, I guess you might be able to say. He, <laughs> he, uh, he did the series of the blank in plain English, like Twitter in plain English and Dropbox in plain English. I think there was also like a government elections in plain English at one point, too.
0: Yeah,
2: that's right. Um, so they were a series of videos. What was that, maybe eight or nine years ago?
0: Uh, we made our first video starting in
2: 2007. Right. Oh, because Dropbox isn't even that old, so it couldn't have been that long ago.
0: Yeah.
2: So, yeah. so six or seven years ago, I guess would be fair to say? Some, something like that, yeah. All right. And then so that led you into, uh, was that like the the beginnings of Common Craft, or was Common Craft around before the videos?
0: It was actually around since 2003. Uh, I was an online, on, online community manager at a company uh, here in Seattle and uh, started Common Craft to do consulting, like to help companies see, like, there's this thing that's going to happen and you got to prepare kind of a thing. And that was when I first realized that the, the thing that was missing from those discussions was really understanding. Like, they just didn't have a way to really understand things like wikis and blogs and RSS and social networking. And, uh, that's when I started thinking about, well, there's gotta be somebody that can explain this stuff better. Like, and if this is going to be a mainstream thing, then people need a way to understand it. So that's kind of where it started.
2: And you just, you're like, if, if no one else is going to step up, it's going to be me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's part of it. I've always loved like communication. I've always loved finding unique ways to communicate ideas and, um, and it kind of just fit into that really well. And it started off with blog posts and things. Um, The first couple of videos were actually built on blog posts that I had done years before, Uh, but it it took YouTube taking off to really think about video. We couldn't have done anything like that before YouTube took off. Or we could have, but nobody would have seen
2: it. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) um, But once YouTube got popular, uh, we started – Sachi, my wife, and I started thinking about, like, how could we ride that wave? And we had the idea of turning those old blog posts into videos, And it was actually her idea to use the format that we use, which is paper cutouts animated on on a whiteboard with a voiceover. Uh Um, And so we made RSS in plain English, just sort of on a whim. We never planned it, never thought there would be a business. It was just something fun to do. And it was sort of a a viral hit at the time, And, and things just kind of took off from there. And then within a few months, we were hired by Google to make a video about Google Docs. And it became our job within you know, a very short amount of time. And that's pretty close to what we've done ever since.
2: Wow. Well, and, and you're a husband and, and wife operation?
0: We are. Yeah, we're intentionally small. Like, we've, we've always been just us, and I think we'll be us for a while. We work with contractors on the website and stuff like that, but uh, we like doing things our way. And that's kind of the choice we've made is to be sort of fiercely independent and work from home and do our thing
2: you're like a like a modern-day Charles and Ray Eames
0: (laughs) you know we watched that documentary not too long ago Uh, yeah (laughs) I I would aspire to be to be like those guys they're awesome Um, but uh, we have ways to go for that I guess
2: Uh. (laughs) well you're already drawing comparisons so you might you must be on the right track Uh very cool. And then so you were doing the, the plain English videos um, for a while, which I guess actually maybe we should also mention the topic of this week's show will be explainer videos. So specifically you know drawing on that. But then you transitioned like what, what did you do when you kind of switched out of the plain English videos mode?
0: Well, you know we from the very beginning we were making videos like our first few, which was RSS and plain English, wikis and plain English we weren't hired to make those. We just made those because we thought they needed to exist. And then when we started being hired to make them by Google and Dropbox, we did a bunch with Intel and uh, Microsoft and other companies like that. Um, While we were doing those, we were continuing to make our own videos. We were were building this library of content that was our own. like We owned it. And most of it wasn't about products as much as ideas. And um, over time, we realized that the, the services side of Common Craft, which we were getting, hi, getting hired to make videos, um, well, there were a couple of things that we didn't like about it. One thing, it didn't scale. Like we couldn't top hours and dollars were tied directly together. We mm. didn't really like that, that so much. And um, we were much more attracted to making educational videos versus uh, these custom explainer videos. Um, it was just like we really want to be doing education versus promotion. Um, so we started to sort of wean ourselves from the custom side and at the same time ramp up the licensing side of the videos that we owned. So uh, that's teachers and trainers and librarians and school districts and businesses um, using our videos as an educational tool in classrooms, uh, training sessions, you know, on websites, things like that. So uh Two or three years ago, we, we pretty much got out of the custom business and are purely um, licensing now, which is what happens through our website, um, which is now a membership service.
2: That's awesome. So you're creating your own proprietary assets.
0: That's right. Um, yeah. So uh, we have about 60, 66 or so videos now in our library, and we publish a new one every month. And we've also started licensing our artwork. So. All the Common Craft cutout, all the all the Common Craft videos have the same look and feel. What we call cutouts, and um, now we vectorize them and have really nice versions of them that we license so people can use them um, as clip art. Which is probably not the most fat, uh, flattering way to put that, but um, it's like our own brand of, brand of clip art. So that's a whole other side of our business. It's kind of new to us too.
2: Oh, so that would be like a, a, like a toolkit that would allow people to make their own videos?
0: No, it's, it's not tools. That's purely just the visuals. So we have, within a few weeks, we'll have about 2,000 visuals. So it's like, I need a computer for my PowerPoint presentation. You can go and buy a computer for a buck from our website. Oh, I see. Um, or you can do a whole presentation, or you can make a Common Craft-style video using um, authentic Common Craft cutouts.
2: Hmm. Fair enough. Okay. Very cool. Um, well, awesome. So I guess that makes a somewhat natural segue to to the uh, to the topic at hand. If I could not get out, uh, if I could get out of its way. Um, so the topic once again, explainer videos. I, I had a little. It was a little interesting for me to come up with recommendations here because I realized um, this is something I haven't ever really materially participated in. So my my take on it was a little bit more as a on the user side of it and then also from like a a user experience design like the placement of the explainer video and things like that so Mm -hmm. robert did you did you uh have a particular angle that you took
1: uh yeah i guess i just came at it from like just the explainer part so i haven't either created a lot of explainer videos but uh i feel like it has a lot in common with you know just writing and telling stories and, and teaching so i just came at it from that angle just
2: the universal principles. Oh, I hope so. Anyway, right,
1: Robert. Yeah, I think that's very. I think that's really true.
0: I mean, think that if you ask me, explainer videos really live in the script. It's the writing that I think is where the value is and good ones, anyway. <laughs> hmm.
2: uh, you know, actually, before we move, we, before we move in, my natural, my super smooth segue. I hate to leave that on the table, but um, before we jump into <laughs> we'll just, it, do you? We'll just edit it out. <laughs> um, you, you were saying like you were wanting to get more into educational videos and less into promotional ones, um, yeah. but it was interesting because I think of the promotional videos that you've made as being super highly educational <laughs> it's true
0: They're, they are educational at heart, I mean the, the goal is education but um, it's really at the, it's still about selling something right you know, to me that's what makes it promotional it's like there's different ways to promote things but you're still promoting whether it's education or beauty or design or whatever else um, you know I, I think that we when we this when we make a video for something like big data or something it's not there's no product there's no company paying us to do it and they're not gonna make money as a result of of this video and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that as a business model or anything else it's just for us, we like the, making our own educational materials that aren't, uh, aren't promotional in that way.
1: Yeah. Right. I think it's great that you guys kind of were able to take, you know, a business that, that sort of surprised you and turn it into what you wanted and, and pursue it the way you wanted.
0: Yeah, I appreciate Thank you. Um, it's, it's, t- it's really been much harder than <laughs> I thought it would be. Um, I didn't really have any explet- expectations because it was such a, a new thing for us, but um, it's really pushing against this whole idea that, for one thing, things on the web should be free, uh, and in particular, online video should be free. Mm. And we're saying, no, you have to pay us for it. <laughs> <laughs> and for for that, we will give you embed codes, we'll give you language, we'll give you subtitles in multiple languages, we'll give you captions, we'll let you download on video file, all this stuff, but it's still... Just this, um, that free idea is woven into internet culture so much that it's, it, it creates a really tough barrier for us. I think hmm. um, the, and that's another reason to focus on education. Is that on the education side, there is a model for licensing content. There is a model. People are much. They're not going to go, you know, look for a comic craft video on BitTorrent. Like it doesn't work in the same way right. as it does for like entertainment.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. I actually did some work once upon a time for a for a very large like university with a a library uh, there that spent I I want to say like um, low ish eight figures a year on wow. um, like just licensing content. That's yeah. it.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a whole market that they don't even see really. Yeah. Uh, and the textbook publishers are a huge part of that, for instance. I mean, they're, they're you know, those, those things are expensive. So yeah. we're a t- tiny, tiny player in all that. So that's, that's what's hard for us, too, is that the education world is all distribution channels that have been locked down for, like, years. And right. to get new, new stuff into it is pretty hard.
1: Yeah. That's really cool that you guys have been able to do it, though.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, we're working on
1: it. <laughs> hey, you're, you're still there. That's
0: Yeah, that's yeah. We've been, <laughs> we've been doing it for a little while. So it's a, it's a, it's supporting us, but uh, I think we can be doing a lot better.
1: So I don't I don't know, I maybe maybe overstepping the, the intended segue, but I think with our last guest we had we had Jeff uh on and he were talking with him about knowledge centers. Uh, would you mind if I did the same thing we did with Jeff and put you on the spot and asked you to uh, explain what an explainer video is?
0: Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I think it's really simple. Um, I, I actually heard you ask Jeff that, and I thought, what if they ask me that? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was looking back at old blog posts, and I actually have a, book, a blog post that's called, What is an explainer video? And uh, I, the way I posted in the blog post and what I'll say now is that Um, To think about explainer videos, don't think about videos first. Think about what it means to explain something. And that boils down to to making something more understandable, to make it clear. And um, I think that people do that in all kinds of media, and video is just one. So I think that, very simply, an explainer video is is a video that makes understanding the priority. And beauty the priority, or you know, um, technical data the priority, or branding the priority, or sales the priority. Like, when you make understanding the priority, that's a different kind of thing. And that's what I think is really the sort of core idea of explainer videos.
2: Nice. Unsurprisingly, I thought, I thought that was very well explained.
0: <laughs> good if you write a book called the art of explanation then you damn well better be right.
2: yeah <laughs> um cool well anyway so as you uh we're getting very meta here but as you may have noticed from listening to the other episode robert demands to go first uh all the time so it's actually written into his contract do you want to kick us off robert
1: yeah sure but by the way my my lawyers uh they want to like Strengthen the language around me going first again <laughs> <laughs> um, so so my tip uh to lead us off was uh basically the the first thing I think of when when I think of of explaining anything or uh even building any sort of content is understanding who the audience is and how they're coming at the the thing I'm trying to to show or teach or talk about. Um, so are they sophisticated or unsophisticated? Have they heard of it? Do they know why you do this? Do they, you know, how, how do they see it? Uh, and so how should I approach them as an audience? And that's, that's kind of the tip is just make sure you do your homework and, and understand that as a starting point. Totally. I hey,
0: that's great. Um, some, something that I might even even um, frame, that, frame along with that is just uh, the idea of empathy and, like, empathizing with the audience, and I think that that that's something that uh, I think is really important in explanation is to being able to forget the way that you think about something and imagine what it's like to hear the ideas for the first time.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, Something something I say uh, often is that, um, you know, an example is driving directions, that uh, people who are really great at driving directions are often really great explainers, too, because they're really good at empathy. And, And the way to think about that is that the The best driving directions don't come from people who necessarily know the route the best. It's people who are able to forget the way that they know the route and imagine what it's like to drive it the first time. But that's what right. makes good driving directions. Now, it's that's what makes good um, good explanations. Um, so that just, just wanted to make that point about that. Yeah, you
1: know, no, that's really they, good. And in another episode, we talked about a cognitive bias that's uh, called the curse of knowledge, which is really similar. Uh, yep. So like if I you know tap out a tune for Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, the odds are pretty low that you'll actually guess the right tune even though everyone knows the tune. Yeah,
2: um, if you tap it out with a pen.
1: Right, or a finger. Uh, but in my head, I hear it playing in my head as I'm doing it, and I can't believe that you don't get it. Um, yeah. At least that's the typical experience. So yeah, that makes perfect sense to me.
0: I love that Definitely. analogy. Yeah, the, the Curse of Knowledge is super... Super important. That's something that I actually use in my talks all the time. Elizabeth Newton is the person at Stanford that did that study. Um, and yeah, and like she asked people just just a little bit of context about that. She asked people in the study, "What do you think your rate of success will be when you tap out a song?" And they said fifty percent. They did this, they did the study, tap out one hundred and twenty songs, and the actual rate of success was um, like three point two
2: percent. Whoa. Um,
0: so it was a tiny tiny percentage. The, uh, compared to what people thought they would do. And I just I love that idea. You know, I think they, we all have the curse of knowledge all the time. Um, and it's really hard. It makes the explanation really hard.
2: Absolutely. I completely concur. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so uh, would you like to take the next tip, uh, Lee, or...?
0: You know I can. Um, I, you know, I've, in thinking through this, I kind of thought like, well, you know, should this be more about explanation or more about video itself? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for, for organizations that are thinking about doing an explainer video, what's a tip for them? Um, so, I, I, my first tip will be um, that related to the curse of knowledge idea. That I think that a lot of companies, you know, want to save money and they, they don't want to hire someone to make a video. Like, we can make a video. We know this stuff. We should be the ones to make the video. And now there's all kinds of tools that make it easy. But I think there's actually real value in finding someone or an organization or an individual on the outside that doesn't know your product to come in and think about how to, how to explain it. Um, because everybody in the company has the curse of knowledge, and that's a strike against you when it comes to doing something like that. And uh, I think coming in from the outside, if, if uh, a person or organization – can. Maintaining that outsider's perspective, they can think more like a user and, and be able to empathize more, and, and hopefully write a script and think about the presentation of the video um, without being cursed so much like everybody else. So, so my tip is to to get somebody from the outside to help with the video.
2: Excellent tip. Yeah, when you were talking uh, going for curse of knowledge to uh, Redux on that, it, it also occurred to me. That it's kind of a dual thing where not only do you are you intimately familiar with your own product, but you're also inf- intimately familiar with your own space, the like where you know the 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 field that your product serves, and yeah. so you might not be dealing with people who are like expert black belt level, you know, uh, high level kind of use people in whatever your, your space is, and so not only yeah. do you have to kind of um, give yourself amnesia around what your product does, but also just around um, you know talking in in terms that that people understand and not just all inside baseball or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think a, a su- if I can provide a sub tip there that's related to that um, is I think that this happens in design a lot too. I think sometimes designers design more for other designers and they do their actual customers or you know they make really amazing designed website, but maybe their customers don't actually know how to use it or something. And I think that kind of thing happens in in explanation, too, that you explain for your peers uh, where you want to impress them and show how awesome your product is to your peers, but that's not who's going to buy your product. You have to think outside of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like this is somewhat unrelated, but I feel like I've noticed a trend in journalism uh, where... I see a lot more journalism that appears to be written for their, like, peer journalists, uh, like, analysis of, of other people in broadcasting or journalism mm-hmm. and, like, just pieces that talk about, like, the rigors of the journalism schedule or something, and I'm always kind of like, this is a really interesting. Like, are there that many people that are not in journalism that are an audience? For this?
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> And yet, and yet, so many newspapers are going under.
0: <laughs> yeah, Weird. well, there is a whole on the other side of that. There is the whole explainer journalism things thing too, like Vox. Um, Vox is is one that Ezra Klein is doing. And they uh, they claim to be, you know, like explaining the news, which I think is a good thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, or Rap Genius. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's true. There's an element of explanation in there.
2: Yep. Um, well, very cool. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just bull my, bull my way right in and, um, I'm gonna give tip number three. And this is, um, I guess kind of along the si- lines of what Robert was doing as far as like kind of a general principle, but I think it especially applies to explainer videos. Is, uh, the rule of thumb that I, when in doubt, recommend, sorry, the rule of thumb is that when in doubt, skew more towards showing me what I will look like using your product as opposed to what I will look at while using your product. So uh, a lot cool. of times I'll see explainer videos that are basically just a series of screen caps um, or, you know, just watching, well, like, to do this in this program is simple. You just click here and then you move over to this <laughs> button and then you go to this screen. Um, and what you're doing then is is forcing, you're giving puzzle pieces to the person watching it and you're making them assemble that puzzle together themselves which is basically how will my life be better with this product in it and so um, I really like to go the other way and say here's what your here's how your life will look better with this product in it you could really get away without showing any kind of screenshots and and uh, I think this tip is is particularly relevant in this case because that's the thing that I really like so much about the the Twitter in plain English or the Dropbox in plain English like they're literally I mean it's you you when dealing with the constraints of, of cut out pieces of paper, you can't show the interface in any kind of detail, and you have to show the surrounding context of just what it's like to use it. Um, so, sure, and in that sense, you know, zooming out and showing here's how multiple computers will get a file synced to them, or you know, an example that I often use in conversation is like Netflix um, back when they came on the scene with the DVDs by mail, where somebody could visualize walking to the mailbox and getting a dvd it doesn't have anything to do with their interface but that's really the <laughs> yeah. the core value that they're receiving so um i always i always recommend when in doubt skew more skew away from lo- what will i look at while using your product skew more towards what will i look like while using your product
0: definitely i think that's really good i've never heard it put that way so i really uh, like that how, how how would you look using it i think it's, it's cool
2: well very I, i'm dropping new bombs i guess Very, very violent analogy. Yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, fair enough. I guess we'll just move. We'll just use that to <laughs> to shuttle our way over to tip four. Uh,
1: sounds good. So, so my tip four is basically I don't know. It's really kind of related to what we're talking about already, but I think it's enough of enough of a difference. Uh, so I think you should understand the context of. Of what you're trying to explain and sort of the the purpose you're looking to achieve. Um, like, are you trying to explain, uh, say, in Twitter's case, like why is Twitter interesting or why why do I care? Um, or are you trying to explain something more along the lines of like how how does Twitter work for me? How does Twitter do something for the world? How does Twitter improve the world? Um, so I just. I think you need to be, uh, especially when you're. I guess when I'm writing, I try to be very specific about what my thesis is when I start, and then I sort of judge everything. It either goes in or
2: out because it fits the thesis or it doesn't.
0: Yeah. No, so do, so don't
2: just don't just let the the uh, cameras roll and make it up as you go.
1: Yes, that's the anti-tip. Okay. <laughs>
0: Definitely, I'm glad you brought up context. That's certainly something that's on my list. And I talk about it all the time. Um, there's a saying that I love that um, uh, content is the king, but context is the kingdom. Oh, uh, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, I think it really frames it, uh, and I, I, context is something I also talk about in uh, in my in my talks. Um, too, so hugely, hugely powerful. So that's, that's good. And also the idea of why, why should I care? That was another one that was on my list. It's like, you know, it's not, it's not how it works. It's like, why should I care about it? And the thing that I, I think that that does in explainer videos is, you know, when someone is considering learning about something new, um, the first thing that I ask, and I think other people do, is like, is this worth the effort? Do I want to spend time doing this? And if you can show someone why that why they should care about it, then it helps them get over that hump where maybe they might be more motivated to learn the details and to be actually interested enough to go further.
2: Well, you were saying <laughs> like you that's on your um, list when you give talks. Do you do like workshops or con- consultations or? I do.
0: I don't really do consulting like as a sort of you know long term sort of thing. But I do one hour talks, and then I've started to do like one hour talks plus these. One-hour mini workshops.
2: I did a couple of those last week. Oh, awesome! And do you exactly. do you like travel to do that too, or is it online? Yeah. Or
0: it's I do travel um, to do it.
2: Yeah, wow, it's a combination
0: cool. of like corporate kind of things. I uh, also I speak at conferences sometimes, but I also do sort of like corporate gigs.
2: You sound like a busy man.
0: <laughs> uh, it's not the travel comes and goes. I'm not traveling again for a while. Uh, I, I prefer to be home, but a lot of times the travel is just like.
2: One day in and out kind of thing. Yeah, there you go. So, so, so w- was the, was uh why should I care? Tip number five, or was that just piggybacking on Robert? Oh no, tip?
0: I was just piggybacking. On okay.
2: This. Can, can I jump in with a, a sort of a follow up question? Yes.
1: Uh, I was curious. I, I went and watched a couple of videos, and uh, one that I watched was uh, an explanation of podcasting. Hmm. Um, and I, I imagine I I don't, I don't have any idea, actually, if I fit the audience or not. I felt like I wasn't necessarily the idealized audience for the, for the opening. Um, but what struck me about the opening was mostly just that like I never would have come from that direction because it sort of <laughs> starts with, like, in the beginning there's radio and television and people would gather around and watch it, but it, it all happens at a particular time. I may have I may have made that worse than it actually is, but that's pretty cool.
0: I, I haven't uh, watched it in a while, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but it, it it was a I feel like it wouldn't have occurred to me to approach it that way, but I thought that was really universal and something that people would identify with when they saw it. So I was curious. It, it seemed like a really good example of sort of ratcheting someone's knowledge up from potentially nothing to you know a pretty good level. And I was just curious how you manage ratcheting that up from, from like, some A to B, because it's not... It's, like, multiple levels of things, really, that are getting explained.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, we there's a couple things going on there that I think we use in a lot of videos. And um, one is the, this idea of sort of making some points really early in the explanation that... People will universally understand. Like you, it's like a connection to an idea. Everybody knows radio and TV. They've seen a TV show before DVRs. They knew it all came on at the same time. And I think that by starting with something like that, it gives people a foundation of understanding. It's like okay, check, I got that. Next thing, and then slowly kind of adding things onto it. Um, so we always look for those connections. So this this could be another tip. this could be tip five <laughs> maybe. All right. This, um, is looking for those connections. So connecting, A, like, if you know this thing over here that everybody knows, well, this thing that you don't understand actually has some things in common with it, so let's talk about that. Um, and w- one of the stories I love, um, which is, is somewhat something you might have heard before, this is a classic connection, is um, the guys that produced the movie Alien um, with Sigourney Weaver, directed by Ridley Scott, and... Um, we're having a hard time selling the script in Hollywood, and uh, they were not getting any buys. And then realized they could actually make a connection that would help people see what they were trying to do with the film, and started pitching the movie with three words. Have you heard what those words are? I have. Yeah, like Jaws in Space um, was what they used, and I think that's like a perfect like three words that you could just flip the switch, like ah. I get it. I totally see it now, and that to me is just a really tiny, like, significant example of of finding that thing. Like, you know, Jaws. There wasn't anybody in, you know, nineteen, uh, what was it, seventy nine, that didn't know Jaws. Um, so this this new thing is like that. I think that's a really important thing. Just like in podcasting, it's if you know how radio works now, well, understanding podcasting is similar. Let's talk about how it's how it connects.
1: Right. Yeah, that's really good.
2: I'm a fan. That's it. Cool. Fair enough. Right. So so number, was that officially that was tip five. five? Sure. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, to keep things moseying along here, tip number six. This is something that I encountered a lot when I'm doing onboarding reviews, uh, and it happens way, way more frequently than, than. well, obviously than I think it should, but like even than you might expect, which is you pour all of this effort into creating a really nice explainer video You're getting the person all warmed up. They totally understand what you do. The video ends and then like six thumbnails come up for like a ballet or like just completely (laughs) unrelated things that YouTube is serving up to try to keep you watching other videos, Uh, which I think is just like such a crime. So um, my recommendation is to pay really close attention to what happens after the playing is done um, and upgrade to pro if you need to or whatever that might be. But um, to control that post-play experience, put in a call to action or a sign-up form or even just thanks for watching. But anything but, like, go co- check out, you know, this uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles commercial or whatever. So <laughs> that's that's my tip number six. Pretty cut and dry.
1: Yeah, uh, totally. T- TMNT hater is all I got out of that.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's really good. I think it's true. It's true. I, uh, ultimately, you're doing an explainer video because you want people to do something, right? You want to motivate them to take that next step. If you don't put it in the right place and don't make it clear, then you might lose them.
2: Yep, 100%. And it's just a poor reflection of your brand, too. Because, I mean, I've it's actually true. seen some pretty weird stuff pop up as, like, the the recommendations after the fact that had mm-hmm. absolutely nothing to do with the product, um, but was also, like, certainly not what you would choose to associate yourself with. So there's even yep. that as well. Definitely. Robert: Nice. I guess it's time for tip number seven.
1: Is this number?: Number seven. All right. Uh, so this one it depends on sort of the, the previous two. It builds a little bit. The idea is, is essentially that anytime I try to explain something that's, that's abstract at all, uh, I feel like if I can't give a good example, then I don't really understand it myself uh, so there are some things that don't necessarily lend themselves to examples, like if you're building a checklist or something uh, and you're just explaining the steps to do something, then it you know it's kind of not really like it's just the steps to change a tire. that's it. Uh, but uh, a lot of things, especially abstract things, um, benefit tremendously from from an example and making things as concrete as possible. Could you uh, give an example? Well. Uh, I used to be relatively into to writing creatively, um, and it was very eye-opening uh, reading and studying, like, how the whole process works to see that uh, the sort of proliferation of a variety of nouns people use that uh, have, like, very precise meanings uh, actually change... Meaning and how something feels quite a bit, uh, and a lot of a lot of authors would talk about like teaching new authors. Their like main advice was to like learn all those specific nouns and be as extremely concrete about everything as possible, hmm. and just like practice more concrete nouns every day.
2: That's cool. I, yeah, I like that. Yeah. The, yeah. So go ahead. Oh, just to just to uh, just to totally derail this. Thought I thought I had an interesting thing to share because you were talking about like nouns changing over time and stuff. Okay, <laughs> really we still there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, but uh, one thing that I recently found out is that you know like an apron that you wear, uh-huh. not that you specifically wear, but that one wears, uh, used to be called <laughs> napron, and you would say I like I'm wearing a napron. And after long enough of people saying that, the an apron actually wound up splitting the word out, and now it's called "apron" instead.
0: <laughs> I never heard that before. That's cool. Yeah,
2: yeah. it blew my mind when I found out. Yeah,
0: <laughs> funny. So um, one uh, one thing I might add on to to the point about using an example is uh, oftentimes it helps to have a person. It's not just an example of like. Uh, a scenario necessarily, but it, it kind of lends itself to storytelling, which I think might even connect to with the the, the example, the creative writing kind of example, is that, that if you're explaining something and it's not working, think about like, okay, so what if I told a short little story about like this person who actually has a problem solved as a result of using this new tool, uh, and that that does the concrete, that provides that concreteness. Um, it's kind of a joke, but it's very true that if you look at a lot of Common Craft videos, they kind of have this storyline of, meet Bob, he's like you, oh, Bob has a problem, he feels bad. And then, oh, Bob found the solution, he feels great. Don't you want to feel like Bob? Um, right. It's that really simple kind of scenario that involves a person that I think can be really powerful.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I think if you can inject people into the situation, it definitely makes it more more concrete and more relatable.
2: Yeah. Do you ever try to do, like, a like a goofus and gallant thing where it's like, ugh, nobody wants to be, like...
0: Carl. <laughs> I think we have. I, I, I don't think of anything off the top of my head, but oftentimes it's, like, new way, old way is another thing. Uh-huh. It's, like, you know, before RSS... Like, that's kind of the RSS video. is kind of like that, that in the beginning of it is sort of like, you know, you... you you're, every time you go out to a website and ask, "Is there new information?" you're wasting time. Like, that's the old way. The new way is the new stuff comes to you, and that's what RSS does.
2: That's a very succinct way of putting it. <laughs> did, did, did did you have any um, like back when you're doing the plain English videos? Like, did you have any uh, inspiration that you really directly drew from, or was it pretty much just kind of popped out of your head that way?
0: <laughs> I think it kind of. I mean, I'm sure there's things that I drew from. Uh, that I drew some inspiration from, but I don't know of any direct thing. Hmm. Um, you know, there's things like Schoolhouse Rock that I grew, that we all kind of grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, that were really awesome, really great, and powerful things, and probably teachers and people in my life that were good at doing things that I, I and things like this. But there wasn't like, oh, I love the work of this obscure person you've never heard of. Um, it's not like that.
2: Rats. All right. <laughs> um... <laughs> Very cool, Robert. Did you
1: have anything else to add on that, or no? No, I think we I think we covered number
2: seven. Well, we're just whipping right through these. (laughs) Great. So does that mean it's my turn? I think it's time for tip number eight. All right.
0: Um, So I'm going to talk about language. Um, You know, ultimately, when you approach the idea of writing of doing an explainer video, I'm a big. I mean. I think anybody who's ever done one knows you need a script. There's got to be something that forms the basis of the video, and I think the script is really where the understanding lives, and it really that's really where things have things are really um, the value is. Um, the visuals matter for sure, and I think that the the the, the writing is really important. And there, there's always a question of like, well, how do we know? what's going to, to hit with the audience we want, and how do we not be condescending, and, and there's lots of, of questions about that. And when people think about explanation, I think they sometimes think, how am I going to dumb this down? Or how am I going to make this simple so that my mom can understand it or a fifth grader can understand it or whatever? And, and I think that that's actually the wrong way to look at it, that, that explanations don't work that way for the most part. I think mostly they are circumstantial. Like they really matter who you're talking to and what you know, it's like what, what we said earlier about the um, thinking about your audience, thinking about who they are. So I think that it's, it's not dumbed down language. It's not necessarily simple language. It's familiar language. Like that's the language that you that really makes the explanation work. And the example I use there is if, if the three of us were physics PhDs, I could explain an idea to you in, in a language that was very familiar to you that would sound crazy to people outside of our profession. And it works, because language, that's circumstantial. And I don't have to dumb it down, I just have to think about making it familiar. And um, so that, that's one point about language. Um, so if I can add another second point that I think is kind of neat. Uh, you know, Steven Pinker is a science writer that you might be aware of. He's uh, And, and He talked one time in an interview about um, how to find the right language in his writing. And he said that his editor gave him some of the best advice he'd ever received as a writer. And she said to treat people as though they were as smart as you but not as informed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of like a neat way to look at it. And the way that I frame that is there's a difference between missing intelligence and missing information. And then if you assume that people are missing intelligence, you're probably going to sound condescending and you're going to talk down to them. But if you assume that they're intelligent and just missing information, then that can inform how you go about writing the script and what language that you use.
2: I like that quite a lot. <laughs> good.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's really good. It's I, I think it's... Uh, I, I don't know, I guess I think content can be really magical if you do a good job of, of meeting people where they are. Uh, and also understanding that not only, I think I would tack on, like not only do they miss some information you may have, mm-hmm. uh, but they also miss like the context of the experiences you have with that information and with learning that information.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it's true. Very well put. Thank you. I guess... Guess that mean, can only mean one thing. Time for tip, the final, tip number nine. Uh, and, and it's kind of similar, actually, to, to your tip. Um, but this is has more to do with tone and especially presentation style. Um, I don't know if it ever worked well in other media, um, but especially online and especially explainer videos, I find that if you're not speaking in a natural uh, language or if you're not um, taking a tone of like, how you would speak to me if I was in the room with you, Um, Mm, that it's a really big turnoff, that uh, anytime somebody comes in with like, well, when you try to do this, it's very simple, or blah, 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 (laughs) blah, that uh, it really immediately makes it feel cheap, which is kind of funny, because I think that they're trying to use that tone to make it feel official or formal. Um, Mm. But I think that if you look at... Certainly, you know, the Common Craft videos or uh, Adam Lissagor with the Lonely Sandwich videos that he makes and things along mm-hmm. those lines. Really, the most successful ones are basically you can almost imagine just sitting across a table from them and they're just giving you the rundown.
0: Definitely. I think what, like, often you hear that called a conversational tone.
2: Yes, fair enough. So conversational. Um, and I think for some reason, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it worked better in broadcast like you know radio or or like the uh newsreels or whatever but um it may be because the internet is more of a, a user driven medium that it just doesn't work as well but for whatever reason I've just yet to find one that feels overly put together um that doesn't come across as either stuffy or or out of touch
0: totally I think it's like uh, unless it's intentional unless it's ironic they're trying to be ironic or something about it sometimes that can be funny um mm-hmm. uh, but I think that we we all sort of – most people, I think, spend a lot of time on the web, get really – we can sniff out bullshit pretty quickly. And that kind of non-conversational tone is something that kind of flips that switch for us. It's like, oh, I can just tell this is not going to be interesting just by the way that they're talking.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and almost like they, they... – they don't seem to know what they're talking about because why would you be coming in on this tone if you did? Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I kind of feel like from when you started talking, I thought it was funny that you mentioned broadcast because I feel like the anti-tip here is a sort of the the anchorman joke about like always using non-regional diction and mm. like a haughty sort of authoritative stance. Sure. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't think it works well, especially in the mediums we're talking about.
0: Yeah. Totally. I agree. Fair enough yeah you know, I was just trying to think of like what could I say right now that would sound totally like like that but it...
2: <laughs> that you concur over to you, Samuel indubitably <laughs> <laughs> all right well, I guess that means uh means it's time for for the whip around yeah uh, has everyone been tracking the recommendations I have I have too. <laughs> Some I gotta admit, sometimes I don't. Sometimes this gets to be a little bit stressful for me, but today yeah, I'm sitting easy. So,
0: I'm glad that you were had the warning at the beginning. That was very valuable. Yeah. yeah.
2: Uh so yeah, tip number one. Tip number one. Uh research the audience. All right. And then
0: does it go right to me? Is
1: this how this works? Tip number two, yeah, yep. We'll, we right, just keep it num- rapid tip fire. Number, yeah. Tip
0: number two is to, to bring someone from the outside to help with the video.
2: Tip number three, show me what I will look like while using your product, not what I will look at while using your product.
1: Tip number four is understanding the context.
0: Tip number five is looking for a connection between
2: ideas. Tip number six, control the after play experience. Uh, don't show weird uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thumbnails.
1: <laughs> tip number seven uh is to use examples where possible.
2: Tip number eight is to use familiar language. And tip number nine is to not talk like a stuffed shirt weirdo. Talk like a normal person. Nice. Done? Nice. Yeah. Look at that. Sufficiently whipped around. <laughs> we have <laughs> we have whipped it around. So so we're a little
1: long here but i do I do actually have a, a question that's mostly a point of curiosity sure uh, so what's like how long I guess is that if you were gonna start a a new explainer video how long is the typical process and and like what's the what's the uh percentage breakdown of how much is spent writing versus like video production
0: yeah, that's a good question. Everyone's different. The rule of thumb that we, we use is like 40 to 60 hours for a video. Um, sometimes it's far less, sometimes it's a lot more. Uh, it depends on the subject matter. Um, but the writing is, is, can be, you know, over half. Uh, actually, shooting the like once we have all the materials ready, once we have everything set, shooting the video only takes a few hours, like two to four hours probably, right. sometimes longer. Editing takes, you know, a day, day and a half, couple, maybe a couple days, depending. Um, but all that time before that is script and storyboard, and that's creating the artwork, you know, and then figuring out, like, is this understandable? Asking that question over and over. Right. Is, is this going to trip someone up? Is there something in here that's not correct? I mean, accuracy is important, too.
1: Do you um, test so- the videos like that? Do you, do you, like, focus group them or anything? We
0: don't focus group them, but we do have what we call technical advisors. So we have friends and people we know and subject matter experts who will work, will will send the script to and say, "Hey, is there anything in here that jumps out at you?" Because um, it's mainly the visuals are usually so abstract that they're not um, there's not as much inaccuracy or potential for inaccuracy in that as there is in the script. So we work at the script level with those people for the most part.
1: Nice, yeah. Uh yeah, that's really cool. Um and I think we we were going to mention again at the end here that uh when I was when I was poking around uh before the show, we noticed you had uh a book called The Art of Explanation. That's
0: right. It came out uh, a couple years ago.
1: Okay. Uh what what prompted you to turn it into a book? <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I think we were among the first people to do sort of explainer videos in the sort of YouTube age. We were the first to market them as explainer videos. And we wanted to sort of maintain that sort of leadership position um, because the explainer thing started to sort of, you know, gets a lot of traction in the last few years. So we thought, you know, a book, that's and the book's not about videos. It's about communication in general. But we wanted to uh, take the lessons we learned from making videos for years and apply them to sort of everyday communication, and that's really what the book's about.
1: Cool. Yeah, it looks really—I don't know—it it looks really well broken down to me and very concise.
0: <laughs> I hope so. Hopefully, it's it's kind of meta, but I hope it's ex- Right, explaining it explanations. It. Yeah, explaining explanations. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's the goal.
2: <laughs> Would you say that it's like a, a business book by and large, or? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not fan fiction. Um,
0: Uh. (laughs) yeah, it it is like, it's, it's, uh, aimed at mainly business communicators, I would say.
2: Gotcha. Cool. Well, I, I can tell you based off of what I know, I'm giving it the Samuel Hulick recommendation.
0: Nice. (laughs) Can I put that on my website? You
2: can. I don't know what it'll do for you, but you're absolutely, you're absolutely welcome. Awesome. (laughs) <laughs> cool. Well, once again, our guest today, Mr. Lee LeFever, uh, founder of Common Craft, author of The Art of Explanation, all around good sport. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Oh, it's been great. Thank you.
2: Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks. Sure thing. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you, Rob. Robert. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's really turning into a riot. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's always... <laughs>